Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Roxana. Uh, I met Roxana on Theomedy's Discord server, and she is a fantastic person. We go kind of all over the place in this episode. We talk about Dark Souls vis-a-vis trans issues. We talk about all sorts of video games. Uh, we talk about the entire Soul series. It goes all over the place. It was an absolute blast, and I just want to thank her so much for sharing everything that she did. And um, I'll leave you to it. Enjoy the episode. Demon Souls came out actually. Um, I was on an online kind of message board community, um, and this was before I came out as transgender, so I was still identifying as a guy, and it was a very male dominated community, and there was a really co- kind of competitive sort of atmosphere about video games, and um, and people started talking about this game called Demon Souls, and everyone was like, it's so hard, and like. You know, the, so there there was kind of that like that get good culture um, already in place around Demon Souls, um, and I you know at the time I don't really buy into that as much now, but at the time I was like okay I have to you know try my hand at this. So the first thing I tried was Demon Souls, and I just like ate it. I was really bad at it, and <laughs> <laughs> like really like I think I got to the phalanx. And and then just kind of gave up after that um, uh, <laughs> because I I'm not I was not used to playing that kind of game at all. Um, but I sort of slowly clawed my way through the rest of the games like one by one as they came out. Um, but I didn't actually finish one until uh, Bloodborne. And when when I finished Bloodborne and like kind of got to the top of the mountain, I guess I was like. Oh, okay. And then I went back and started replaying all of the other ones. Um, and, uh, and then Dark Souls 3 came out. So that's been <laughs> where, I, where I got started to now. Well, I'm curious if you um, if you bounced off of Demon Souls, and I, I did too, like almost exactly at the same point. Like I got 45 minutes in and was like, nope, this is not for me. I'll never play these <laughs> games. Um, <laughs> what, what made you keep going back and trying? Like what was, I'm assuming that like when Dark Souls 1 came out that you went back and then Dark Souls 2, but you, and you, and you tried mm-hmm. those again. Like what was it, what was the draw? Was it the atmosphere, the gameplay, or what people were saying about it? Yeah. Um, there was always an element of, of going back to it because I was in a community that was really into it. Um, at first it was again, like this kind of message board community I had, but as I moved away from that and moved towards, um, my own like personal transition, um, I, I just had like kind of a, a group of close friends, so just a couple of friends who were like really into the series and they kept me interested in it. Um, but for myself, um, I would say that the thing that actually kept me coming back beyond just, um, social reasons was um that these games for me have a kind of the way that their gameplay i guess you could call it the game feel or the play feel of the game um has a certain kind of like weight or something to it that feels really good to me in Mm -hmm. a way that it's like an itch that most video games don't scratch for me very well but this particular series has always scratched it really, really well. Um, and I find that feeling very addictive and hard to, hard to, um, stay away from. 
What kind of other games do you play? Just out of curiosity. Um, well, <laughs> I um, like one of the reasons I'm I'm just bad at like action type games in general is that I didn't grow up with consoles. I had parents who were like, "Consoles are bad," um, and we had um, Macintoshes growing up, and they were totally fine with games on the Macintosh because. Um, because I think they were mostly edutainment games, like in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the games that I started out with were like LucasArts adventure games. So that's like my home genre. Um, I didn't branch out into RPGs until I was like well into my teen years and my twenties. Um, and nowadays, I would say that I play a mix of like kind of more triple A leaning stuff. Like the last few big games I played were like. I mean, I, I just picked up Dark Souls Remastered, and I picked up God of War and, like, Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, and before that, I was playing, like, Mario Odyssey and Zelda last year. But I also play, like, small, weird, story-driven indie games. Like, I really liked um, What Remains of Edith Finch is one of my favorite games ever. Um Man, I really, so, I really wanted to like that game. Like, I know that's probably kind of off topic for what we're talking about, but th- there's, was, there's was just something about the movement in that game that I was like, oh, God, I'm falling asleep on playing it. Like, it just, I, I don't, I probably didn't give it enough of a fair chance, but it was, it if was it very was frustrating. The movement, yeah, I mean, if it was the movement that bothered you, I might suggest the Let's Play, just because it's so short that it's like a movie. But, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> very different from a Souls experience. Obviously. <laughs> So um, I'm curious because I like to kind of go a little bit in chronological order, but we can skip around too. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a pretty dramatic difference between Bloodborne and the first three Souls games that came out. Um, whereas yes. you know, going from Demons to Dark, there's not that dramatic of a difference. Was it that change in aesthetic and change in tone that, or was it the change in gameplay that this time made it click with you and you're like, okay, now I'm going to finish these games? Um, yeah, it no, it was absolutely the gameplay. Um, aesthetically, I'm I'm. I, I hear a lot of people say that they prefer the kind of Victorian Lovecraft thing in Bloodborne, and I like it a lot, but I am really, really into the kind of dark, high fantasy of Dark Souls. I actually prefer that. But for me, it was the gameplay. Um, uh, something about Bloodborne being fast and aggressive, and uh, my tendency in action games is to um, run forward and smash things. Uh, so... <laughs> Um, you know, so obviously my starting weapon was the hunter's axe. Um, and I was very much a, you know, spin to win player at the beginning anyway. Um, that's a fun build. That's a really fun build. It's really fun. I ended up with, uh, you know, the, the holy blade, um, in the end, because that, that weapon is amazing. But, um, but yeah, definitely an axe player. And I, I really liked that Bloodborne seemed to reward me a little bit for being, kind of aggro with enemies but did never let me play stupid like i had you know you have to play smart like any of the games but um but that made it somehow easier that that made it feel like less of a slog because i think what would happen with demons dark and and dark 2 is um that i would get to a point where i was just like really frustrated and the game felt like it was just moving really slowly and i was aware that these games were very long and i was like oh it took me this long to get like <laughs> in dark souls 2 i was like oh it took me this long to get to the pursuer or in, in one it was like it took me this long to get to the capra demon and now i'm just getting destroyed um 
So I'd be like, oh, I can't do that. that like, that's too much. But Bloodborne moved along at a pretty quick clip, and then I finished it. And then that feeling of finishing it was, like, addictive. So I was like, I got to go back. <laughs> yeah. Actually, accomplishing it uh, really, really means a lot. Like, I feel like the, once you – the Capra Demon is a good example because I probably spent six hours getting to that point and dying over and over again just because I was still coming to terms with the controls. I had no idea what I was mm-hmm. doing, that kind of thing. And then finishing that boss is like, okay, now I'm ready for the rest of this game. Let's go. Like, I'm ready. Now mm-hmm. I'm ready. And of course, nowadays, yeah. you can play through the Capra Demon and it, like people can get there in like 10 or 15 minutes and just like wipe the floor with them. Like it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Times. But that's a fun, um, that's a fun kind of power curve to me. It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm playing Dark Souls Remastered right now, and I haven't played the original Dark Souls in a while, in a few years. Um, and I actually never finished it, which is like my like gamer cred shame. Um, I uh, The last time I played it, I think I got up to Ornstein and Smo and like just... It just ate like ate shit basically <laughs> it was like because i think that's another like i think that's another gate factor for people in dark souls is i think people often talk about that fight i'm not like terribly good at these games i just really love the feel of playing them um but this time so i'm playing now and i got to the bell gargoyles and who never presented me with the, that much of a problem before and i swear i fought them like 20 times and was like just totally not working and when it finally clicked i was like okay i got this and then the capra demon was no problem and i'm moving along now but i have to every time i play one of these again i feel like i have to relearn it a little bit like even (laughs) even if i've played it for like 100 hours i'm like oh i have to remember my muscle memory i have to remember how to move and like do the dance that the game wants me to do yeah it's something it's something strange where um like you, you. I feel like a lot of it is overconfidence. Um, like I remember going into uh, Bloodborne, thinking like, "Oh, I've beaten Dark One, I've beaten Dark Two, I've beaten Demon Souls. Like this is not going to be any problem for me." And just <laughs> getting destroyed at the beginning of the game because I wasn't approaching the game on its own terms. Mm-hmm. I was kind of in my own head about it. And I playing uh, the remaster. There's definitely some like weird stuff that happens with that game i think if you especially if you have multiple people playing a boss fight but also it's just i haven't done this in a long time and as, as i'm fond of saying <laughs> even though i talk about dark souls for like you know at least two or three hours every week that doesn't necessarily translate to me being good at dark souls <laughs> so you have to <laughs> so you kind of have to like i think if i was just a little bit more careful if i wouldn't like kind of rush in a little bit i would i would have a little bit more yeah. success but i do the same thing i have i have issues with with bosses that you know, like, oh, hey, it's Quaylog. I've beaten Quaylog a thousand times. Why am I dying on her this time? What is this run? Why is this run different? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a thing with um, with all of them. I think the one I've played the most is is Dark Souls three, and that's the one that's the easiest for me to like get back into and be like, oh, I know how to move. I know how to do this. With the other ones, um, I, I think especially with the older ones, because the movement is slower and because the movement is a little more stiff in some ways, that that definitely happens a lot. When I go from the newer ones to the older ones, I'm like, oh, I can't move quite as much or quite as fast or fluidly as I used to. So Dark Souls Remastered, I think the reason I was like really choking at the beginning a lot is because I had just come off playing 3 for like a long time. 3 has just been what I've been playing Um and three is definitely my favorite. So yeah, yeah. Three is uh, definitely kind of is a merge uh, between Bloodborne and and Dark Souls. I think mm-hmm. like it just d- definitely brought over some of that faster gameplay style. Um, and I think that 
uh, I, I kind of miss that a little bit. Like I, I, going back to Dark Souls One Remastered, I actually kind of like the slower paced combat. I think, but I think it's definitely personal preference, right? I, I believe that because mm-hmm. I know some people that will not that just can't play Dark Souls One. Like they just don't the the slowness of that combat just doesn't doesn't work for them like Dark Souls Three does. So it's interesting, and I find it it's like that for people that start with the later games and then move backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of weird. Like these games are incredibly similar to one another, but you know, once you get into them, you're like, you can speak volumes about their differences. Because <laughs> like, I kind of oh, find that oh very amusing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think at a surface kind of survey level, if you played like an hour of each of them, you'd be like, this is basically the same with some cosmetic differences, and maybe the mechanics feel a little different. But the more you get into them, I mean, Dark Souls Two is so its own thing on its own but you know i i kind of as somebody who like has played all of them but really embraced it and really started going for it with the later games um and getting into the faster more fluid combat um i really think of playing dark Souls remastered now it feels like it's like a different gameplay mentality for me despite all the similarities like because of what you're saying because it's like the slower style like that was one thing with the what like i mentioned like redoing the bell gargoyles fight a lot i was about like 10 tries in before i was like oh i'm not raising my shield like at all (laughs) yeah because i don't i don't do that in bloodborne and because i didn't do that in bloodborne i i picked up a style in dark souls 3 where i didn't do that either in dark souls 3 i used um I two hand ultra great swords or, or just use like pyromancy and a, and a one handed like club. Um, it's my way to not use shields and to just be evasive and do a lot of spacing stuff. Um, so I, and I was like running in there with like a shield and a sword or a club or something and, and just not raising my shield. And then, and I was like, Oh yeah, my shield absorbs damage. It's not just there for show. I think if you start with bloodborne, and you pick up that shield weapon that has like the funny item description that's mm-hmm. like kind of telling you not to use shields. Um, I think I really internalized that mentality about Bloodborne, and I don't think I ever lost that. In my head, I'm always like, no, nah, I don't need a shield, <laughs> which is not necessarily true in Dark Souls 1. You can, but like it's a lot better if you have one, especially at the beginning. I um I have a I have a similar thing because um by the time I got to Dark Souls two I had done so much PvP I was like oh well I'm I'm super good at these games now so I don't I don't need a shield and that actually worked <laughs> for me like I did all of Dark Souls two pretty much without any kind of shield so going into Bloodborne was like oh yeah okay I'm fine with this going into Dark Souls three okay I'm fine with this and then returning to Dark Souls one recently I was like oh no I actually probably need to block sometimes <laughs> like this is being ridiculous <laughs> why am I doing this <laughs> yeah. In that sense, it feels like a different game because the the focus on defense is is higher. I feel in Dark Souls One, um, you know, in a once I got my head around that aspect of it, I feel like the game opened up for me more. Um, but yeah, in two and and like I meant in Bloodborne and three, but also in two, like in two, I played the whole game with the with the Cestus. Like I was just punching stuff, no shield, and that Hell was yeah. so fun. Like <laughs> that's that's like the most fun i can have with that game power stance cestus that moveset is so much fun and just so like it's so good oh man that's the one thing i really miss the most about dark souls 3 is the power stancing because it's just like that having that option to use two of the same weapons and just totally change your moveset and usually the moveset is super good like power stance maces was one of my playthroughs and I, i think it was my easiest time playing dark souls 2 ever it's so good 
That's amazing. Yeah, that was. Uh, I remember people being pretty sad that power sensing didn't make it into didn't make it into three. I did a, a Cestus run in three um, as well, and it, it definitely doesn't. I mean, sorry for the bad pun, but it just doesn't have the same punch to it. Like it's 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 not. It doesn't feel as tactile or something. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um... It, there's just something man i hate to use the word visceral right <laughs> like you don't want to <laughs> because it's such a it's such a played out word but there's there's just something really satisfying about those multiple punches and then those uppercuts and i just i, yes. I, I love those power stance fist weapons it's they're, too bad the really uh good. the claws are, are buried are buried so so much in the dlc <clears throat> yeah that's um i mean i'm i always find myself wishing there were more uh weapons like that that were more kind of um, hand-to-hand weapons like Dark Souls Three doesn't have a lot either. I think there's like, as far as straight fists go, I think there's just like the Cestus and like the Demon's Fist and maybe one other. But and there's like some claws, but um, you know, I mean, but the games have such a variety of weapons that it's hard to complain about you know not having one one thing or another. Yeah, but we're but we're Dark Souls fans, so we we have to be able to complain <laughs> about something with these games. That's that's it's, it's our that's right and our true. privilege. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I think I think though that using the word visceral, you know, as much as it's kind of a you know a word that we use a lot, but I mean, I think that really keys into what is so appealing about the games, though, because I, uh, for me anyway, like my sense of 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 these games is that they have a sense of um, consequence to every animation and, and a sense of weight to to your character and the weapon you choose. And, and I, you know, every game has a sense of physics that, that the player kind of feels in their character. But like, I've, I don't, haven't played a lot of games where there's like such a sense of weight, but like in such a satisfying way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very, it's very tactile and it's very like physical and, and visceral seems like a good word for it. Cause I mean, that's what keeps me coming back to it. I almost find that, like, like I was saying, like, it's like an itch that gets scratched or there's something almost kind of like, I mean, I feel like this might be a slight reach, but there's almost something a little therapeutic about it um, where I'm like, oh, this feels nice. Like, this feels like I want to relax into this a bit. That's the funny thing about Dark Souls to me is the the marketing around it is all very much. It's so hard. It's going to kill you. You're going to die a million times. You're going to break your controller, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I feel like <laughs> veteran Souls players, and maybe not even veteran Souls players, maybe just people who get like used to the controls by the midpoint of the game, settle into this, you know, death doesn't matter. I need to learn from my mistakes. And it becomes something relaxing. Like for me, nowadays, when I play a Dark Souls game, I'm, I'm so familiar with the systems. I usually have like specific goals that I'm, I'm putting into place in my head and I'm going out and doing in the world. I, it becomes a relaxing kind of game for me. Like I, when I rebuilt uh, my KJ Invader and Dark Souls 1 Remastered, it was very much a, okay, here's my list of, like my checklist of things that I got to go do. <laughs> and I'm just going to yeah. go casually do that. And I was streaming. So like that was relaxing with friends also. Like that helped. But uh, it's, it definitely becomes something that you can, you can relax into. Like it's, it's weird because uh, you would think it's the opposite. You would think that because of the, some of the encounters are so tense that it would, it would be the opposite. But once you get into that rhythm, outside of bosses, I think, because I still have a lot of time stressing out with bosses, uh, but I think just playing the game normally, I, I feel like it becomes just, like you kind of mentioned a dance, like it becomes that kind of back and forth of what does the game expect me to yeah. do and can I execute it? I completely agree. I, I, it's nice to hear people talking about it being 
a dance and but also it being relaxing because I, I I feel like I do get weird looks sometimes when I say I find Dark Souls therapeutic or relaxing. But it's true that like it, it's this weird thing of of I have a dual experience with the game. So like, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that this often happens with like getting in getting the hang of the controls or like around the midpoint of the game. Because I feel like the way I started Dark Souls game, and I think this is true for some people, like at the beginning you're just getting creamed. Like the game feels overwhelming. Every enemy has overwhelming force. Um, you cannot brute force your way through it at all. Um, so it really feels like the game is just kind of ganging up on you and beating you down, like at every possible chance it gets. But then at some point, there's a flip, like if you keep doing it, there's like a switch that flips and you're like, oh, there's a way that this game wants me to move. And the the great thing about the series to me, and I, I think all video games do this, I think all video games teach you how to play them with like consequences and death and so on. But I don't think any series for me has ever nailed it as hard as a soul series does where like the second you're like, I'm going to play on this game's terms, like the whole experience changes and the whole experience opens up and you're like, Oh, I get it now. And it's so satisfying. And you feel like you've like climbed a mountain or something. <laughs> it's um, it's, it's interesting to me too, because obviously the souls games have been such a success and you can, it, it, as much as you know, this is the Dark Souls of whatever is such a such a meme now. Um, you can clearly see <laughs> that games have taken like have have educated themselves basically has taken inspiration from these combat systems and tried to incorporate some of that. I used to compare um, because when Dark Souls One came out, which was the game that I first clicked with, uh, I used to compare it to Assassin's Creed because it took me so long to get used to the combat in Dark Souls One because I was used to the Assassin's Creed of just you know blitzing through everything and not really having to worry mm-hmm. about animation priority yeah. or anything, stamina management, really anything. I didn't, I could just do anything that I wanted to. Yeah. And then now <laughs> I picked up uh, Assassin's Creed. Origins, I think, was the most recent one, and uh, I think so. it's it, the the combat is now all of a sudden focused almost you know a one v one or one v three kind of situation, much like Dark Souls. It's stamina based, much like Dark Souls. Like it's people have taken inspiration <laughs> to that, and I think it works. When I played Assassin's Creed Origins, I was like, yes, this is this is cool. Com- I don't feel like an assassin anymore, but you know that's a whole different topic. But <laughs> I'm but I, but I'm much more. I'm enjoying the combat more. That's amazing. I'm, I feel like I see that a lot too. I mean, like even in in. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned like the new God of War and Horizon Zero Dawn. I feel like both of those games take design inspiration from from Dark Souls Two in their in their gameplay. Anyway, um, it's interesting that you mention not being an assassin anymore because I've been starting to get really into like whatever info is leaking out about uh, Sekiro, um, where which seems to be like taking the dark souls thing and making it a lot more about being an assassin than being like Mm -hmm. a warrior, which is interesting. Um, it's like an interesting direction to take that formula. I think. Yeah, it's it's funny when uh, now from software is like, okay, we did that and we've set these precedents, and all of these games are going to come back and quote unquote copy us, and now we're going to go a completely different direction <laughs> when you don't when you least expect it. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're when you're leading the pack, you can kind of go wherever you want. <laughs> um, they're, I mean, they're kind of, they are kind of setting the tone for a lot of for a lot of games, and I'm you know I'm glad to see that. Um, it's nice. Uh, I feel like we were for a while there was like this kind of triple A period in gaming where where the Assassin's Creed kind of model was very true of like 
you're totally empowered as the gamer. The whole experience is about making you feel omnipotent. And I feel like the earlier God of War games are like totally this. And like even games like Uncharted where like, you know, you can die, but like it, it really feels like it's more about making you feel cool in a kind of cinematic way. Mm-hmm. Dark Souls is not like Dark Souls is like, nope, you're, you know, you're at school now. You're going to learn. <laughs> Yeah, me and uh, my friend Gary talked about this a lot um, with the, in terms of Dark Souls 3 because it felt like Dark Souls 3 concerned itself with the player more than the previous games had, and that was one of my complaints of it. And I know people agree and disagree with that statement, but uh, I definitely felt like the it was more... I don't want to say video gaming because that doesn't make any sense, but uh, it, I felt like it was more like it was treating me as a, as a player of a game and it wasn't really allowing me to role play like this shitty chosen undead who's going on this quest because people lied to him. And uh, it's, <laughs> and that, that makes that, you know, that makes that game like a little bit less for me, but I still really enjoy the mechanics of it. Um, and it's something that I, I'm kind of curious how that's going to play out in a game like Sekiro, where it's going to be, you know, you're going to, you're not going to have a character creator. You're not going to ha- have this ability to kind of role play. You're going to be one set dude and that's it. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious how that's going like, to roll out with everybody. Cause I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's just weird and interesting to me. It is. It's a very odd concept. I mean, um, I know that like, you know, it, you know, as, as like a, as like a transgender person, like character creators are a huge staple of my like internal life in a way, because that's like an avenue of self-expression that I didn't have for a lot of my life. Um, and Dark Souls is one of the big places where like, I mean, before I came out and, and all that, I was very much obsessed with character creators. There were games where I'd spend more time on the character creator than I would in the actual game sometimes. Um, just because the, the, the fantasy of like designing your body and your face was like too much to resist. Um, so it's interesting when you're kind of in a, a sort of forced perspective of, of a character um, like you are in um, Sekiro. Um, I don't think I'm going to miss it though, because I just think of it as a different experience. Um, um, I, I think it's more like you're learning about who this character is in the context of a story. It's not really you, but in the same way that a video game or um, the protagonist of a movie isn't really you, yeah. you can like re- relate to things, I guess. Which is one um, reason why, like you know, representation in those in those movies is so important. I think because it, you know people yeah. need to see themselves on the screen. People need to see themselves. On yeah, the to be, yeah. To be inspired I mean, that's intensely. Absolutely. Yeah. It it is inspiring. It's intensely powerful to see yourself um, represented on, on screens. And I, you know, I obviously haven't much. And whenever I do, I'm like, Oh my God, this is so good. Um, Well, as a straight white cis guy, well, let me tell you, it's been pretty awesome for about 35 (laughs) years now. (laughs) Yeah. When I get like a a small, you know, powdery taste of that, I feel like invincible. So (laughs) I can only imagine. (laughs) It's, it's kind of interesting because, um, and if you don't mind talking about this, and, and just let me know because I can I can edit whatever or whatever. Because um, I find a lot of uh, trans folk are, are kind of gravitate towards the Souls games for that reason, and then you know Dark Souls Two did that notorious thing where you know they have the actual gender change coffin where you can just literally change your gender at any time which, <laughs> right yeah um which resulted in some really funny stories of dudes like taking off their armor for the first time in the game and like wait i have boobs and then you know also <laughs> and then you know just also empowering people to be the character that they want to regardless yeah. of what's the, who they are in the game which i think is pretty important 
like do you think that those games kind of lead you to accepting yourself more as a trans person um or or at least giving you the tools to kind of just like it, it literally just being a representation thing of where i can make myself who i want to be on the screen yeah and this is like um a story that i i i love telling people about dark souls 3 is that before i i came out um to myself as as transgender uh, last year um and you know i'd been playing dark souls 3 um i played my character who was like a pyromancer and um i i before i came out to myself because it was something i wrangled with internally a lot but like never came down on a side until recently um, before that, I always, almost always played male-bodied characters. I'd, play, I'd pick a male character. What would happen is I'd go into the char- character creator. My instinct would say, make a female character, and I would, but then I'd get, like, freaked out. I'd be like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> like, like, I'm not ready to commit to this or something. So I'd go back and make, like, a really, like, tough, like, guy <laughs> um, and be like, okay, I feel safe now. Um, so I did this. I made a, I made a character biz- before I came out, um, and um, it was a male character, very, very like sort of masculine looking, um, and, and it was it was a pyromancer, and but I, as I played the game, I found myself um, definitely like wearing very feminine clothing. Like a lot of the pyromancer gear is very flowy and draping and kind of dress like. I ended up wearing like the firekeeper skirt. I also noticed that I, when I got the old sages blindfold, I had it on all the time because I was like, it was like obscuring my face. Um, and then I came out, and then after I came out, I went back to this character and was like, "Huh." So I I went to um, Rosaria and did the appearance change thing. And the, this is the this is the thing about Dark Souls that has a specific appeal to me as a transgender person is that. Most RPG character creators that I've seen um, really, really like have this sort of dimorphism thing where if you pick female, you have very, very traditionally feminine body types and faces and everything. And if you pick male, it's the same. You're very, very masculine for the most part. But, you know, Dark Souls has a lot of gray area, a lot of ambiguity. It has that masculine feminine slider in the character creator. So I went to Rosaria and I took my like very very masculine male character and like made them as feminine as possible. I ended up looking very female, but it was interesting because I started with a base male character, um, still had like, like aspects or facets of them that looked masculine or looked androgynous. And that was very relatable as a transgender person because, you know, I don't, you know, I don't like, I don't necessarily look like a cis female person. I have a lot of traits that are masculine, but I also have a lot of very feminine traits. So looking that way in the game, I felt like this might be the closest I've ever come to a game where I feel like I've created a transgender character and a game where I actually literally had a transition. Um, um, and that was a really powerful thing to, to go through. That's that's fascinating to me that you could you could have that kind of self actualization through a character creator. I mean, it makes sense, but it's just it's fascinating that like video games are, are giving our people or you specifically like the the kind of tools to deal with these issues themselves. Um, like that's yeah. I, I think about those character creators a lot because I remember 
the other game that does this real well, believe it or not, is Saints Row 4, because you can literally make your character <laughs> look like anything. Like, they have the kind of a similar thing happening. Um, like, you can make your dude character look as, as womanly as you want to, to, like, balloon-esque proportions and vice versa, which is really, really strange to me. Um, like, I don't know if they were just doing that to be funny or to be inclusive, but it works out both ways, I guess. Um, and then Dark Souls just giving you the, that capability of looking like... You know, you can create, I've seen people create these beautiful characters that just look so amazing and then also have these hideous monstrosities on the other side and then literally right. everything <laughs> in between is such a, like it's a, such an unreported value for the Souls games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I can understand, given that, why people are, you know, maybe a little reluctant to be on board with uh, Sekiro having a set character, um, but... You know, I'm I'm willing to to think that as different as the Souls games are from each other, when you get down to it, that that's going to be a completely separate experience. But but yeah, character creators. I mean, for me and 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 I think for a lot of people I know are are a powerful self expression tool. Um, I I've I've like always idly fantasized about having a game that was mostly just an extremely powerful character creator that that could do a lot of stuff. I don't anymore because I'm more comfortable with who I am and, and and stuff now. Most characters I make in games now tend to just look as much like me as possible and I name them Roxana and but before it used to be this whole thing of like you know, when you're playing RPGs or even tabletop RPGs or whatever, where just like the making of a character is so much fun and such an act of creativity in and of itself um, uh, that it's hard to, it's a little addictive. I was uh, joking with a friend the other day that um, I could never stream a Souls game on release. Like I could never just like load up Twitch and like start streaming to friends as soon as it came out because I always spend at least an hour and a half in the character creator. <laughs> yeah, uh, same. <laughs> well, I mean... I couldn't tell you how many like I, 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 like different alts I have in Dark Souls Three. Like it, especially you know in Bloodborne, it, it didn't seem to matter as much to have like different characters. But in in three and two, I have like tons and tons of different characters because I was just like, how do I feel about going through the game looking like this and with this build? And most of them I didn't even play. But you know, um, that's why I'm also convinced I could never stream it on Twitch unless. People wanted to watch somebody obsessively recreate characters <laughs> for a long time, <laughs> and that community exists. I, I I just found this out the other day. Like, there's a there's you know there's a, there's Reddit communities out there that like share sliders to get characters to look like certain things, right? Like you can go, oh, you can go I find have those. seen those, yeah, yeah which that's is amazing, actually. Yeah, it's fascinating. I saw like somebody I don't remember what it was, but somebody was like, I would kill to find the sliders for what that character looks like, so I could recreate it. And I'm like, wow, that's a weird, like, and it's such an odd thing because I'm sure that from software never thought that anybody would want to share that thing, but I. You know, I bet if you included the ability to share those those kind of preset faces or whatever with your friends, it would be oh it yeah. would be mind boggling. Like you could go, you could have a really good time with that. I think so too. It's interesting because I used to, um, I would say that I used to really want to like have all these different characters, um, and I don't know if it's a factor. It's definitely partly a factor of like coming out feeling more comfortable with myself. But I think like I'm in my early thirties, like I'm older now, and I kind of like have this thing where I feel more settled, and I'm just like. I just want the character to look like me. <laughs> like <laughs> it became less about like about like looking like something else and more just like how much can I just insert my own self into this game? Um which is a nice it's a different feeling but it's nice. 
That's that's interesting. I wonder if that's a um, it can, can be kind of a, a more universal thing because I feel like the older I that so. I th- that I've gotten, yeah. like the less um, I treat video games as like an idealistic playground. Like it's more I just want to have experience with the mechanics of the story or what have you. So mm-hmm. you know the idea yes. of being th- the big muscle brown barbarian or whatever, like when I was seventeen or eighteen, or like the you know the the old wizard or whatever. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I've lost a lot of that. Like that still sounds cool and I can be that, but yeah. I, I feel like I spend less time really thinking about that and more time thinking about actually who I am and as a person. So, yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, I think, I, I think that's absolutely something that universally increases as you get older um, for everybody. I know. Um, I, I definitely feel like the reason I've glommed onto this particular series so much, um, especially in my late twenties and early thirties is that it is like, I mean, there's so much lore and there's so much like, and I love watching lore videos and everything, but that part of the game is weirdly really separate from my gameplay experience of it. I'm like purely playing for mechanics, at least for me. Like it's the mechanics that I'm there for. The mechanics are what's satisfying. And that's like the tangible thing that I'm like getting out of it. The aesthetics and the world are really important to me too, but they're not as important as how the game just feels to me as a person. Um, which is why, like, I haven't really been able to get into a lot of, like, I I, I mentioned, I, I keep coming back to the new God of War game, but, like, I like it a lot, but it the mechanics are, are good, but they're not, like, they're not transcendent to, to me. So it's really hard for me to get into it, because I'm like, as much as I want to be into the story and this amazing world, and it's so gorgeous, you know, if it doesn't feel good to play, I'm I lose interest really fast. That was um, I, I ultimately finished God of War, and uh, I, I think that's a really, really gorgeous game, and I, I had a lot of fun with it. But um, by the end, I was kind of done with the combat. Like I feel like, yeah, um, and I, I, may, I may have done this to myself too because I'm the type of gamer that wants to collect everything, that wants to go find all the pretties, <laughs> and that's very much like had that Metroidvania thing where you would go find abilities that would be used as keys that you could then go then explore the world. And then by the third time that happened, I'd already been in the same place for the third time. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Uh, our, oh, another witch. Yeah. Okay. 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 But <laughs> so I stopped kind of doing the side stuff. So I stopped getting as many upgrades. So I was kind of sticking with the, the kind of combos and things that I had found and the enemy variety isn't as great as I think it probably could be. So by the end, I was just like, okay, ready to be done. Want, I want more of those boss fights. Like I had at the very beginning of that game and less of the, you know, one v five kind of combat. Even though it, when I started, I thought that shit was amazing. I, I was having a great time with it. So, um, I do have to say that and this is maybe digressing a bit, but the axe throwing in that game is like Chef's Kiss, perfect. It oh is yeah, so good. absolutely. All I want to do in that game is throw the axe at stuff and like retrieve it. Um, uh, you know, I it would be awesome if if future. Uh, Souls games have something. Something, like that. yeah. I've always wanted a boomerang in a Souls game or something similar. Oh, like, I always wanted so to have. Yeah, yeah. I remember going into uh, New Game Plus and seeing those um, in Dark Souls Two and seeing those like weird Falcon enemies or whatever, like the dudes with the the Falcons, and being like, "Why don't I get ranged weapons like this? Like this is I don't want just a bow or magic. I want something like cool like this." Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. this is another thing I'm kind of hopeful about with Sekiro is that I, you know like all the like the arm powers and the like the grappling hooks and the fact that there's a jump button it seems kind of vertical um i'm really excited about that that seems really cool yeah same same here like i I think um if that if having that 
hook arm or, or whatever that hook shot uh, gets you to like a crazy amount of verticality in your level design. Like I, I am totally here for that because when so when Sony when From Software does um, vertical level designs, I always have a really good time with it. Like the the Iron Keep yeah. DLC for uh, not Iron Keep the Iron Castle Dark Souls Two DLC. I don't remember that it's Iron something. I don't remember Iron. King? I don't remember either. I yeah. haven't played the Dark Souls two DLC. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, that's it's, it's just, but it's it's basically like a tower that you're uh, that you're working your way like up and down, and you know, pulling levers to give you to turn on elevators that give you access to stuff that's like between levels that you were on before. Like it's really oh, fun. That so, stuff is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah I want to see that a lot. We've talked a lot I mean, about Dark- kind of around the games. Um, I know you from uh, Theomini's Discord, and Theomini is, yeah. I think, one of the best lore people for for Souls games around in the way that she agree. kind of th- <laughs> thinks and, and breaks this down. So, uh, what what do you? How do you engage with the the actual story of these games? Do you do you do a lot of research? Do you do you write your own stuff? Like, how do you do you just ignore it completely? <laughs> I definitely don't ignore it. I, I think for me, I, I think I mentioned briefly before, but I can go into it more. Um, the 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 actual experience of playing the game is very immediate and very aesthetic for me. I'm actually not the type of person to really dig into item descriptions and and like really take my time doing that in game. Um, and I because I'm I really like for me game a game is like movement and and just play and I really like to focus on that aspect of it. But I get obviously like I'm I'm a fan of Theomini. I'm on her Discord. Um, you know, I'm I'm into Dark Souls lore, but that is weirdly a separate pursuit for me. Um, I really like watching lore videos, listening to podcasts, um, but it's almost like a separate part of my brain than the gaming part of my brain. The gaming part of my brain just wants to move around and smash things with a sword. And then sometimes there's another part of my brain that kind of wants to contemplate and get into deeper kind of literary and philosophical stuff. Um, and that part of my brain is very happy to like let other people do the hard work and like, you know, just listen to their <laughs> videos and, <laughs> and stuff like, cause like I don't have the energy or the time, but there's people who are like so committed to like, let's get as deep into this as we can. And I think that's so awesome. And and I and I really I really like feed off their enthusiasm. It's so contagious, and I get really into the lore uh, that way. Interestingly enough, um, it, it it just became two separate experiences for me. Occasionally, I feel like uh, the games like I, I I kind of sort of sit up and and pay attention. Like like the moment in Dark Souls three where you're in Farron's keep and you find the wolf in the tower. It was so striking to me and unexpected that I was like okay, I need to know what's going on here. Um, but a lot of the times they are really more just like kind of sensory experiences um, that more so than me, like thinking about the story. I um, I, I find for myself personally that I, I really enjoy the lore and the stories. Um, the further the series has gone on, especially with Dark Souls, the, the less I'm into it, um, which I think is just like mo- mostly just sequelitis at that point. Like, okay, I'm okay. We yeah. get it. We get it. It's Gwen something. Okay, fine. That's whatever. Um, whereas <laughs> it's, the answer. <laughs> it's something with Gwen. I don't know. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Gwen something like it. Bloodborne, which is much more self-contained or Demon Souls, which is much more self-contained in a different way where it kind of leaves things a lot more open to interpretation um, is 
something that I enjoy more. But no matter what the game, I don't really think about it as I'm playing that much. Like it usually, because mm-hmm. you kind of mentioned having two brains that deal with that, and I, f- I feel the same way. Like I feel, feel like I got a part of my brain that does Dark Souls lore usually when I don't have a controller in my hand that's like thinking about the stories or what I saw or yeah. what, I, what I found versus me actually playing the game where I'm much more concerned and kind of enraptured by the mechanics. Absolutely. I'm, I'm the same way. And I think that's why my my gaming preferences in and of themselves have split into different ways where I'm either playing something heavily, heavily mechanics driven. Like the two games I play the absolute most are Dark Souls and Minesweeper. And Minesweeper has no story, no aesthetic. <laughs> it's, it's pure pattern recognition and just like doing it as fast as you can. I'm like weirdly obsessed with Minesweeper. But then the other games I play, like I mentioned, it's like, what remains of Edith Finch and like Firewatch and you know that, yeah. that genre where there's almost no mechanics to speak of, and and when there's no mechanics, I'm like, okay, I can get into the story because this is more of a contemplative experience. This isn't about me. This isn't about me solving a puzzle or handling a machine. This is about me thinking about what's being said and feelings and you know aesthetics and stuff. Um, it's yeah. real funny that you bring up. Um... <laughs> Minesweeper, like 13, 14 year old Jeremy had a had a, a, a huge thing with Minesweeper, just trying to get through, <laughs> you know, every single thing as fast as he possibly could, and trying to mm-hmm. break those like whatever records. I don't even remember what the records were, but just trying to get like less yeah. than, you know, just trying to finish them as fast as possible. And we get that weird, you know, when you play a puzzle game for a long time and you like can close your eyes and see the yes. you know Tetris blocks, Tetraminos, or, yeah. or whatever. Like I would, I could go to sleep and like literally start playing Minesweeper yes. in my head. That's how yes. dumb I was about that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, we I, very much have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that nowadays. Um, okay. Well. <laughs> I, I mean, but I just my I, I think just my hands just aren't fast enough. Like I used to just be so quick mm-hmm. as a teenager, but yeah, I just I can't do it that quite that fast. And isn't it weird? Li- isn't li- Minesweeper li- get weird? <laughs> I think. <laughs> I just play vanilla Minesweeper. Yeah. I do, I think the world record for like expert Minesweeper is like thirty one seconds or something, which is insane to me. Because I'm not that fast. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I'd, I'd be very much into that, man. I just I can I can already like I'm I'm flashing, but I haven't thought about Minesweeper in so long. That's so crazy. Um, yeah, competitive Minesweeper is a really weird, unexplored internet rabbit hole that I hope people key into at some point because it is it is something. <laughs> This needs to be in the next AGDQ. I don't think I've ever seen Minesweeper at AGDQ. And we no, need, we I would love it. I'm not fast enough for AGDQ, but I would love to see it there. Yeah, me too. This is, this is like the Tetris Master level that I want to see next year. Um, <laughs> yeah, those Tetris blocks in AGDQ are always uh, like so, much yeah, so, yeah, much so much fun. Yeah, so much fun. Um, so we, we, we've talked about Sekiro a few times, and we know that they've got that uh, VR game coming out, uh, Daracene. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, the one other announced game, which uh, they've kind of said, like, hey, that's probably not on record. So there's at least like one more title that they're they're working on. But for you personally, like as a as a as a Souls fan, as a Bloodborne fan, what would you what would be your like ideal dream game from From Software if they if they released it? This is a really good question. Um, I think if pressed, uh, Feudal Japan would have been one of my answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as uh, Sekiro, Sekiro is not like a Souls game in the traditional sense, it feels more like something new born out of the ashes of that formula. Um, if they were going to sort of go back to the well there, um, I, I, I don't, I always feel like this is a bit of a pie in the sky idea and people always look at me a little sideways when I say this, but 
I, I've always been fascinated by the idea of, of like Miyazaki doing a science fiction game. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that we've had like, like, I think there was a game called the surge, which was yeah. like kind of a sci-fi souls. Like I didn't play it, but uh, yeah. And I've always wondered like about like, I've wanted Miyazaki's take on cyberpunk. Um, I think the closest I'm going to get to that is probably cyberpunk 2077, not in terms of gameplay, but in terms of like aesthetics, like Mm -hmm. of of like a really fully realized cyberpunk world. But I I would really like Miyazaki's take on that. I would really like with all of his philosophical preoccupations with rebirth and things decaying and rotting and, and coming back and, you know, the human insistence on, on going on living in spite of, you know, the dark and death and all this stuff. I, I, I would want to see how he translates that into like a really heavily technologized urban setting. I think that would be fascinating. Um, a weird combo with the, you know, the kind of sword and board gameplay maybe, but I, I still something that like preoccupies my thoughts. I'm like, what would he do with that? That's why I got really excited when I heard, um, that they brought in the expanse writers. I don't know if you're familiar with those books or, or the TV show that they just did. Um, I have not, but it's, <laughs> it's, they, they brought in those writers apparently to consult on some story stuff and like, who knows where that ended up or what it ended up as, but just the expanse is one of my favorite, like modern sci-fi things. And just like the fact that like one of my favorite video game companies is bringing in some of my favorite writers to talk about some sci-fi shit gets me so excited. I get so, I get so jazzed about it when I think about it. That is really cool. That's exciting. That's exciting to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, the last question I have for you today, and uh, this is something that I've been I've been kind of trying to get into asking every one of my guests, uh, mm-hmm. is that you know, Dark Souls is one of these weird games. Souls is one of these weird games. Um, even going back to like Kingsfield, but I feel like it really started with Dark Souls One, where um, it would it was such a weird kind of niche video game series um, from software was making kind of making these weird dungeon crawly, excuse me, dungeon crawly kind of games. Um, And then dark souls one came along and it's, it's almost like it completely changed the the, the world of video games in some ways. And this, Mm -hmm. this kind of cottage industry popped up around it where you all of a sudden to me, you had like YouTubers and loresters and all of these like Twitch streamers and podcasters Mm -hmm. and like everything just was thrown around this game because people wanted to talk about it or deal with it or just live it so much. Um, And I think it dramatically changed a lot of people's lives. And obviously we talked about some, you know, that, that the story that you shared with dark souls three kind of, enabling you to recognize yourself as 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 something that you weren't quite willing to recognize yourself before that but mm-hmm. do you think that dark souls as a series or bloodborne or or from software has actually changed you as a person at all oh yeah no i definitely think so um before i played the souls series i really feel like i thought of video games as escapism i thought of video games as kind of like wish fulfillment almost or or like um i, I kind of thought of them as a you know you, you you go on an adventure and you you you're you're in control and you feel powerful and you're the hero of the story and stuff um but it but you know um video games have always been kind of a a place for me to escape from my problems i would say mm-hmm. um 
you know, I've, I've, you know, not to get super serious at the, right at the end of the podcast, but like, I'm like, as a child, I had a lot of medical issues, a lot of medical like trauma issues and, and was hospitalized a lot. And that was like really challenging to deal with. And the way I dealt with that was fantasy worlds. Like I got really into middle earth. I got really into final fantasy. Um, and, and, you know, it was like, I had a safe place to go to where, where even though my body was like not really working the way I wanted it to in real life, in, in the video game, it was like, you're the hero and you're more or less indestructible. And, you know, the story makes you powerful and empowers you. When I played Dark Souls for the first time, it was like rough for me coming from that perspective because I was like, oh, this game feels like what it feels like to be on it, to be powerless, to be overwhelmed by things that are bigger than you and that are kind of forcing you down with like overwhelming strength. Um, <clears throat> But I kept playing, kept playing, kept playing. And and it is like that moment when you realize that you can do it. Like you can, you it, it, when it stops being about escapism and it starts being about how you feel as a person dealing with these mechanics. Because I feel like as, an, as a physical being, I feel like very invested in the experience of playing a Souls game and being able to like, tackle that challenge and deal with it and deal with all the frustration and the, you know, everything that comes with the whole soul's experience definitely changed me as a person. It, it, it made me feel way more capable of dealing with and tolerating internal challenges in, in being a physical person in the world. Um, and that's really translated out into a lot of other places in my life. Not only has it just made me better at video games, it's changed the way I think about mechanical tasks generally, and it's made me feel a lot more capable of doing them in a way that I really wasn't before. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. It changed my life. Well, Roxana, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and guesting. I, re I really, really appreciate it, especially um, all of the conversations around trans issues and things like that, because I know that stuff can be hard to talk about, especially in a public forum. So thank you very much for sharing with, with us today. I, I really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me on. It was, a, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Where can you be found on the Internet? Should people want to uh, seek you out? Um, I am on Twitter. My at is uh, Roxana Farone. That's uh, R-U-K-S-A-N-A-F-A-R-A-O-N. Sorry, that's a mouthful. Um, and that's also my at on um, on Medium and on Letterboxd. So I write essays about um, culture and gaming on Medium, and I write film reviews on Letterboxd. Um, and if you're interested in my writing, you can check that stuff out. Excellent. Well, thank you again for guesting. This has been an absolute delight. I'm so happy it was. It was, a, it was a delight for me, too. Thank you, Jeremy. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That website has links to all of the previous episodes you could ever want to listen to. It has a link to the Patreon if you want to support the show directly. It has links to find us on just about any social media service ever, including Instagram, where I put up short preview clips of every episode when they come out. Uh, it also has a link to our merch store. Currently, there is only one shirt available, but if you want to put a skelly on your belly, go to don'tgiveupskeleton.com slash shirts and check that out. And uh, if you do so, please send me the pictures of you wearing it. I get a huge kick out of that, and I just I can't tell you how crazy and amazing and exciting it is to see people putting that skelly on, on their body. Like that's just great to me. Um, thank you for all the recent iTunes re reviews. We gotten some really good ones. Uh, I apparently am still on the new and noteworthy section in the UK, which is super strange because it's podcast is almost like three years old now. So <laughs> thanks UK for that. And uh, if you're here for, from that, uh, thank you for listening. It was very much appreciated. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode, but until then, remember don't give up skeleton. Thank you.
favor and submit your letterboxed and uh, 